This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. If you have any health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 131114. Always was, always will be Birapai country. Swim shark like Birapai people, let's all swim together. Thank you, Marambu. Mila and I'm 10. Hi, I'm Theodora. I'm nine years old and I like singing and acting. I'm unique and my own person. My best friend is Chinese and sometimes she goes to China to visit her grandparents. Welcome to the first episode of season four of Navigating Parenthood, Growing Great Tweens, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis. Hello. So if you're like me, you'll probably have used the word tween, but maybe you haven't really known what it means. Well, so you'll never use it out of context again and maybe feel as though you know at least one thing in the next parent-teacher interview. It refers to children aged between 8 and 12. That increasingly complex, all-systems-go stage between young childhood and adolescence. And if you're a parent to tweens, I'm right there with you. My daughter is 13 years old and my son is nine. Tweens! In this season, we'll explore how to talk to, connect with and guide our tweens. Those little people in our homes who are one minute chatting passionately about climate change and politics. And then the next minute having a sock sliding competition down the hallway. Which I always win. In our first episode, Belonging... And being you, I share a conversation with Carol and Tate, mum of three, whose eldest son started the transitioning journey when he was a 12-year-old tween, and Andy Saunders, proud Biripai man, comedian, and dad of four, to a daughter who's just turned 17 and a son who's 12 as well, as two now adult foster children. Together, we'll explore how tweens find a sense of belonging in the world and tackle questions of gender and cultural identity and the importance of kids understanding and embracing who they are so they can carve out their place in the world. So how do we as parents help create the space and freedom for our kids to do this? Well, let's find out now. Andy, Carolyn... Thanks for being here. Pleasure. Thanks for having us, Dylan. It is our pleasure. So kids, hey, how good are they? <laughs> oh, how good are kids? <laughs> they're so good. I mean, <laughs> who'd have them, honestly? It, it, it sounds like the three of us are elbow deep in tweenland, though. Absolutely. We're swimming in tweenland. You know, one thing that I'm really loving watching my kids' journeys through life is, is noticing those little moments when you can really start to see their beautiful little identities forming. And it does happen a lot in the tween years, doesn't it? Eight to 12-ish. It's when these the fashion choices are starting and 
tribes are forming. And for me, personally, I always get excited when my kids fall in love with new music. They're finding their jam, you know, they're finding their thing. And that was a really important part of my finding out who I was when I was growing up. It pretty much shaped the rest of my life. What about you? When did you first notice your children starting to think about their identity? Let's start with you, Andy. I love how you say that your kids, um, you know, they're exploring new music. I know my youngest, who is 12 years old, going on 13 next January, and he makes me feel old all the time. The other day um, we, we, were, we were driving down a highway and he goes, oh, my God, Dad, look at that vintage car. It was a 96 Honda Civic. <laughs> and um, he says, talking about music, he, he says, um, I'm listening to the classics at the moment, Dad, from the 2000s. They make you feel very old. <laughs> Are your kids finding music on their own then and... Claiming it. Absolutely. Claim. Absolutely. You're so lucky. My children, my eldest, who is now about to turn 18, has always had a pretty broad palette in music and, and has brought wonderful music to me, but my younger two have such rubbish taste in music. <laughs> They're going to hear this. It's really bad. <laughs> they know I think it's rubbish. It's okay. <laughs> what about when they were younger? Like I'm talking toddler, three, four years old. Were you starting to see little moments where they're, they're realising what they might be or they're exploring what they might be, maybe with some fashion choices. Oh, yeah, I think I, I think they all try on a whole different bunch of identities for, for size when they're little. And Connor, my eldest, who has made the gender transition, was really heavily into dinosaurs but also fairies and also princesses and, you know, um, every year or so it was a different fad, you know, and... Um, it was really interesting to see him trying things on and he'd take, it's, he seemed to take little bits from each phase, you know, and, and pull them together in this melange of delightful chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great stage. I love that stage when they're working out what fits. I do, I do have memories of taking my son to the museum in a, with a Hulk costume and a tutu as well magnificent look. I, oh, I wish I could replicate it. <laughs> it is a big thing though, isn't it? Working out who we are. I'm still on that journey and I'm 800 years old. What do you think some of the obstacles for kids these days are when they're discovering themselves? I think these days it's, um, it's influence from a whole lot of different levels. It's influence from friends, social media, all these new platforms that they connect and communicate with each other on. I think today it's always rel relative, all right, to when we were young, but um, I think today they have so many more influences and, and unless you've got a strong I suppose, compass at home and guidance at home, I think those influences are going to uh, take them a little bit easier than what they would in uh, otherwise. Yeah, and I, th I think, you know, social media is a double-edged sword and I think, um, as Andy said about that compass at home, that's so key to, I think, you know, social media gets the blame for a lot of stuff but it's still up to us to provide that that core at home and the, the core values. And I think for us, when when Connor started questioning his gender and, and it, it, there was a lot of pressure at school and from friends to 
uh, be a certain way, act a certain way. And he was really needing to find to find somewhere where he fit. And he found that via social media because the way he felt inside wasn't reflected in the kids around him. So he needed to go further afield to find people like him um, and to feel okay, to feel like he wasn't so odd or strange or different and, and find that sense of belonging. So I think that there's something wonderful about social media as well. If you, if you use it constructively, it can be a wonderful thing as well. And that's so, so key because it's a platform to share as well, but it is also a platform to overshare. So I think just to get that balance, I mean, look at how kids will share what they eat, how many farts they did a day, what noise level those farts were and laugh about it. It's platform to really, really share everything, which is a great thing because it opens up their social skills and it allows them to test that on every level. But um, I think to find that balance at home and um, just let them know it's okay, but, you know, some things some things can kind of get out of hand. Andy, I love this quote of yours. No matter how hard it gets, how tired you get, how frustrated you get as a parent, you only have to look after your kids until you're dead. (laughs) That's it. No one told us that, did they, when we signed up for this? That's new knowledge. So, Andy, I'd love to, using that little launch as a way in, I'd love to hear a bit about your story. Look, mum was a single mum for a little bit and God bless her soul, we we lost her last August. Um, she was the greatest mum. She was strong. She always uh, worked so she instilled that, um, you know, those values in us but she was also a very cultural woman and she had real pride where she came from and who she was and teaching us kids about the old stories of Biribai country and all of the other countries around us that were associated with and who our uncles were and aunties and our cousins and, you know, things like that and how we're connected to the land and why we're connected to the land and why it's such an important thing to learn about. But she also said to a lot of my, um, you know, a lot of my non-Indigenous mates, she said, you know, culture's not just about being Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, it's, it's, who you are and um, knowing the importance of what your grandparents did and the people before them did for you to do what you do on the land you do it on and and knowing how how important that is to you as an individual. And it only takes one person to listen to someone. It only takes um, one person to say, hey, only takes one person to say, I love you. You know, they're some of the most important things you can do for a kid and it doesn't even have to be your own kid. When you were younger, Andy, when, was, when did it become important to you to connect with your culture as a proud Biripai man? I always say this. I, um, I've been Aboriginal for a fair while now and um, it's been a great journey. And I'm into growing good men, especially in my community. When I say mine, um, I mean direct my, our, our black men. I want to... I want to grow good men for the future. It's very positive. Um, Andy, how do you share your culture with your children now and how important is that to you as a dad? It's just through stories, local stories, and um, my kids study language. I lost my brother um, a week before Christmas, um, and, um, yeah, a few months ago, and he was a, um, he was a cultural leader and he taught um, my daughter 
all of this language and it's really good for them to know that, you know, it's okay to be out there and be proud of who you are and where you come from. And that's on every single level. And sometimes, you know, it takes young kids a while to get that confidence and gain that confidence to actually say, hey, yeah, this is who I am, Gujigu. That means welcome, hello. I'm from the oldest culture in the world. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be attached, associated, affiliated with that? Let's move into a, a little bit about Carolyn now. Carolyn, I love this quote. It really hit me in the feels when I read your quote. It's this. The best thing is to believe your kids when they tell you something. Oh, that's so important to hear, to be reminded of as a parent in so many parts of their lives. It's, um, it sounds basic, except, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, oh, it's it so logical. <laughs> it is exactly, which is why it's a, such a good reminder, except around, you know, the Easter times when they said, no, I haven't had any Easter eggs today. Yeah, there are times <laughs> to de- definitely not believe them. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can usually tell by how much sugar rushing is going on. Um, so how old was Connor when he started actually really questioning his gender identity? Connor was 11 when he started to have some really serious mental health issues that we didn't know at the time were related to gender. But it was definitely hooked all around hitting puberty. So, you know, I had this young daughter who was a really precocious, confident, outgoing little kid who would talk to strangers on the bus and, you know, knew the name of every dinosaur and and was so confident and outgoing and suddenly just became sullen, quiet, depressed, really struggling at school, struggling with friendships, grades went down, everything was just really suddenly wrong. We didn't know why. And it was then that he was in the hospital and I was sitting next to him and he said, I think, I think I'm non-binary was what he said at the time. And that was the first time I'd heard the term but had never really thought about it because it had nothing to do with my life. And so, you know, I did a lot of Googling and, and was, okay, well, if that that's fine. Let's deal with that. And uh, it was sort of over the, it was a period of time then over the next six months to a year that he really just took the time to to relax into figuring out who he was and, and what was going on inside him because there was just, it was clear there was a lot going on. And the reason that, that I made that quote about, you know, when your children tell you who they are, believe them, was because I didn't believe him at first because I thought, oh, he's just depressed and looking for a reason that he's depressed. And that was... I wouldn't say a convenient reason because there's nothing convenient about transitioning your gender, but, but I thought maybe he just thought that was the magic bullet that was going to fix everything because I thought I, I had this real cliched, I guess, a, idea of what being transgender was because you see people talking about their, their child who was transgender and they say, we always knew, you know, like, you know, he was always different or whatever. And my kid wasn't always different. You know, my kid fit in really well and, and was well adjusted and, and so it was a complete shock. It came out of left field for me. I was really surprised. You've mentioned a little bit about what experience you had with whether or not you believed him. What are some of the other reasons and or maybe things that you've experienced as well that really get in the way of a parent believing? I mean, I guess some of it's going to be age. You think, oh, it's just a stage because of their age. Are there other obstacles in the way? 
Oh, def- definitely other parents I speak to, one that is a real issue for a lot of people is the older generation of relatives and what are they going to say, what are people going to think is a really big one. You know, socially people, um, especially of our generation, I think find it awkward or, or weird or, or uncomfortable. And I think, you know, the, the thing that I always say about that and about believing them is it costs it costs you absolutely nothing. Um, and, you know, and the, the concern too for a lot of parents, I think, is they're going to change their mind. You know, what if they change their mind? And the answer is, so what? Like, if they change their mind, you go back and use the pronouns they want and use the name that they want and nobody's lost anything, no harm, no foul. But the, the, the point of believing them is that there's nothing more important for me, there's nothing more important than my child knowing that I love them and accept them and will celebrate them, whatever, you know, shape and, and, and size that shows up in. So with the family unit when kind of started to transition, what was that like? That was, things were a bit rough. I was going through a divorce at the time. So um, I was on my own with, with my three kids and you know, we were, we were flying by the seat of our pants there and I was working long hours and doing my best to hold this, this new sort of family unit together. But my younger kids who are, are now well entrenched in Tweenville, they're 11 and 9, they were, kids are amazing, right? You know, I said to these younger kids who I think were seven and five or something at the time, hey, so, you know, your sister is now, your, I'm going to start using male pronouns uh, and I'm going to use this name. You don't have to if you don't want to but that's what I'm going to do. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they never slipped up once. That was it for them. So How good are kids? Kids are amazing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What about um, Connor's friends with the decision and the change and the process? Well, were they supportive? No. I, I think uh, he wow. really struggled at high school. Yeah, he had oh. some really massive problems there. He had friends that he'd been with all through primary school, they'd come up together, gone to the same local high school. And without being inside it, it's really hard to say whether it was the transition that they had an issue with, but also he was going through a lot. And, you know, he's 17 now and he's he's doing really well, but, but at that time it was so tough. And I was being called to the school on a regular basis. He was um, going to the, they have a mindfulness room, they call it, where he would go and, and, you know, play with kinetic sand or whatever and (laughs) to get out of class and take a break. And so it was really a rough ride for him during that time. Kids, kids are so struggling to find their own identity at this tween age that, you know, it's often easy to to deflect that onto a, you know, an easy target, which Connor was. Um, he was clearly struggling. He was clearly different. He was clearly, you know, making some changes, and and you know that was a, a tough, a tough time for him, definitely. Um, what did you get out of these experiences of bullying? Did you find a way to manage it or cope it? Could is there anything that can come out of that experience which you can offer as advice for other parents who are having kids being bullied? Uh, I would say I kept the lines of communication with the school open. I was, I was, uh, I was, I had the school counsellor on speed dial, um, and uh, you know it's so hard. You can't protect your kids from the world. They're out there every day, and the best that I could do was was be speaking to the school, be speaking to um, his psychologist, who we were seeing once a week, once a fortnight. Um, and just to provide, you know, home was a soft place at the end of the day, that there was just love and acceptance and support at home because 
that's that's what you need. And I, I had this wonderful conversation with his psychologist where I was, you know, sleeping with one eye open every night because I was worried that he was going to do something to himself and, and he was going through all of this stuff and I was so worried. I remember her just saying to me, it was the greatest gift at the time. She said, I'll take care of his mental health. You just be mum. So you tell him to clean his room, get him to help with the dishes, get him to do the mum things. I'll take care of the rest. And it was just, because I was on my own too, I just felt like I'd been carrying all this stuff. And I just remember feeling so relieved to feel like somebody else is here, somebody else is carrying this with me. I think, you know, the, the stuff that Connor went through in those years, of course you would never choose it. You would never choose to put your child in harm's way, but he's an incredibly compassionate, empathetic, kind person. And I think partly because of what he's been through. That's amazing. He's going to be, man, what a force to be reckoned with. Oh, he's incredible, yeah. Um, Carolyn, can I ask, you were talking about you did a lot of research when the conversation started about the potential for transitioning. Um, did you find a community of people? Did you find allies to work with? What do you think was the biggest help for you? Yeah, I, I didn't at the time. I think... I did later on and I've certainly, because I, as a journalist, I've written a fair few articles about Connor, I have become a bit of a lightning rod for parents going through it. I get parents uh, emailing me all the time, which is lovely and I welcome it because I'd like to help where I can, you know, other parents going through it. But when I was going through it, it's always been my, my MO to, if I'm, if I'm facing something unfamiliar, I'll read and read and read and read and read until I know everything about it. Um, so I did that. But what I learned is that there's no single point of truth for this kind of thing because everyone going through this is, is there's the wonderful thing about the way we're looking at gender, I think, in our society now, and there's a long way to go, but there's no, it's not a binary option, you know, it's not one or the other. It's, there's so much flu fluidity to it. And, and so what Connor was, while Connor was trying to figure out who he was, it wasn't, you know, that he was a girl who wanted to be a dude. He was... Um, he was going through all of this. He's, he still has a lot of effeminate qualities. He, bless his heart, he went out and just got some four-inch, like, knee-high boots on the weekend that look amazing on him. And, um, you know, he's really this fluid kid. He's, he's a gay man and I didn't know that that could be a thing then. I didn't know anything. So I, I was just, what I learned from all my reading is that I really just need to be led by my child and, and just love him and wait for, wait for him to tell me what he needs um, because everyone's different. So I really learnt to, to tune into him and to, to stay close to him without, you know, being annoying and um, address what his needs are at the time because we didn't know from one week to the next what they were going to be anyway. Carolyn, can I ask, and Andy as well, how do you feel about educating others like perhaps me, about what you've learned on your journey. It, it is a really new language for a, a lot of us. I'm learning as much as I can along the journey in this, in this world, in this era. And it's mostly from my kids, to be honest. Um, but I, do, I want to learn more. I want to, I want to get it right. And so does everyone I know. So is it okay to ask questions or, or should I be going and doing my own research and getting lit on my own? Or is it more of a combination of both? <laughs> I think Carolyn said something so key. It was an amazing, I think, I can't quote, but um, you said something around uh, be with your kids 
listen to your kids, learn off your kids? Because, I mean, kids have so much access to so much information these days. We all do. But this is how kids are entertained these days and this is how they learn. Swipe, swipe. It's swipe. this fast. And he's swiping. It's this that sort of fast. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a swipe, and um, it's like it's like a wheel of um, constant information. That's why it's hard to be an entertainer because you're trying to entertain these kids, and they're like, mm, "I've seen that before," or I'll or I'll <laughs> or I'll watch it on yeah. YouTube later. Oh, if you're taking ten seconds to set up <laughs> yeah, a joke, yeah. that's too long. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell me about so it. How can people unfamiliar with? For instance, changing pronouns for a, a family member or a friend or for anyone. How can we start using the correct pronouns? Is it do we ask? How do we start the conversation? Like we don't. I don't feel like there's a norm, a, a normalized version of how we do greetings these days. That being said, I see my kids, and you know, even in primary mm. school, happy with changing a, a, the changing of a pronoun and correcting me if I get it wrong. I think one of the greatest pieces of advice I heard around this was someone from the trans community saying, don't just put it on trans people to, you know, asking them about their pronouns. You know, you could go up and say, hi, my name's Dylan. I use, you know, he, him pronouns. You know, what's your name or what pronouns do you use? So that we can all be talking about our pronouns and it's not just you're different, let's talk about yours. Um, which is, you know, one of the nice things that we're seeing on on things like LinkedIn now. You can have your pronouns, and and it's just a way of it, it's inclusive, and it's it's a way of recognizing that, you know, we, we all have them. We use them. I use them. You know, I'm, I'm, I use she/her, and but again, I guess like any community that's that's you know marginalized, it's also not on them to ed- do all the educating for you. You know, I, I think if you're interested, then read. Do you introduce yourself, Andy, as proud Beerapai man? I was just about to say it's the same with being Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. I, I get questions, what would you rather be called? Or, um, and um, there was some problems with abbreviating um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander from the full terminology to ATSI and people were offended with just an abbreviation. And it's not because of the abbreviation. I think it's because of the history behind Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander struggle. It's got more to do with that. And um, to just sort of throw away all of that struggle with an abbreviation, I think it's it can get offensive. You could just call me Andy. And I'm your friend who happens to be an ageing, rapidly Aboriginal male. <laughs> but it's always about context, isn't it? It's about appreciating that context and the historical, you know, That's having right. an understanding of, of where you're coming from and what you're talking about. Yeah. Carolyn, um, on this, and I'm asking this with kindness, can I ask how we refer to Connor's life before Connor became Connor? Is that a valid question? It's a very valid question and I'm not sure I, there's, I have a hesitation in, in uh, um, answering some of these questions because I'm not Connor um, and, I, um, and, and I certainly can't speak on behalf of trans people but um, I think that when I speak about Connor, I always call him Connor at any point in his life and I'll always use he, him pronouns unless, for instance, as I was saying before, you know, before the transition I was referring to him as my daughter because it was part of the, the story. 
But if it's not relevant to the story, I'll always just call him my son and that he's Connor. Yeah. And I guess from that I'm picking up that it's going to be different for everyone. Everyone's got their own story, haven't they? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I do, I'm, I'm in a, a Facebook group and I can't remember the name of it, but it's where you can learn about trans people and it's run by trans people and you can ask questions and they will come in and like share stories about their lives and that sort of thing. And, you know, being a part of that has really shown me just how different, you know, a lot of people approach these things. And, and, and there is just such a diversity of experience and um, comfort levels of different different things in different groups. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's it's one of those, yeah, it, it never hurts to ask. Carolyn, can I ask a question? Yes, you? you can, please. As a parent, you sort of, you had these feelings that your kid might be doing something, might be going through changes, and then you all of a sudden have a click of what they're going through or what they're doing or who they're seeing or what's happening in their lives. When did that click for you with Connor? I don't think I had a click moment. I think but I tell you what, as far as click moments go, um, and this is beyond his tween years, so not entirely relevant to our conversation, but Connor is is now a few months off turning 18 and he had top surgery, so breast removal um, in January this year. And it has been the most remarkable, wonderful thing that we could have done because just having breasts was a constant reminder that he was definitely in the wrong body and he was binding every day which is physically uncomfortable he'd been doing that for years and just that he could um you know wear men's shirts and he likes to have them a bit unbuttoned so a bit of chest shows now he can present to the world the way he feels and that single thing has been as a parent the most it was the clouds parting and just seeing him as the glorious young man that he is um in full flight and since that happened he has been just living his best life and uh, he's in his senior year at school. He's, he's doing well. He's got good friends. Um, he's got plans to go to uni next year. And I look back at the mum that I was when he was 12 and I just want to give that poor woman a massive hug and say it's going to be okay. It'll be all right, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell Connor that I think he might be my hero? <laughs> he's definitely mine. He knows though. <laughs> yeah. For both of you now. We're getting towards the, the other end of the conversation now. What would you say to any parents who have a tween come to them with an identity question? How do you begin that conversation? Ask questions and listen. And, uh, you know, going back to that, believe them, believe them. But, but be mm. curious. I, I really subscribe to the pot plant style of parenting, you know, where you, where you water them and watch them grow in the direction that they want to grow and, you know, you care for them and you you know, put them in the sun and protect them from the weather and then you just watch and you love them. That's lovely. What about you, Andy? I um, always listen and I always think you should throw it back to them, how do you feel? I want to hear of how you feel about this situation. But it's good to build a platform for your kids to be able to express themselves on any level and definitely... Um, shut off everything around you and let them know that you are all all theirs. Can I also say if That's they come to you with yeah. an identity uh, statement or question, um, pat yourself on the back because you've created an environment where they feel like they can trust you with 
with that sort of information and mm. um, that's golden right there. You know, if you're doing that, you're doing something right as a parent, I think, and um, that's yep. half the battle. Yeah. Hey, guys, I love you so much. Thank you for chatting and being open and sharing so much of your lives with everyone. This is not only helpful for me, but I believe it will be helpful for people listening as well. So really thank you from the bottom of my heart, Carolyn Tate and Andy Saunders. Thank you. Pleasure. Love you too, Dylan. Well, that's it for this episode of Navigating Parenthood, Growing Great Tweens. In the next episode on mental strength and well-being, I'll be chatting with mum of three and swimming legend, Susie Maroney, and mum of three and personal trainer, and also a legend, Lauren Patterson. If you haven't listened already, make sure you go back and check out the first three seasons of Navigating Parenthood. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Navigating Parenthood. It helps us to share the love. Cheers. And a great resource for help and support for tween kids is the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. For more information and useful parenting links, head to hcf.com.au slash podcast. I'm Dylan Lewis. I'll chat to you next time. Love you. Bye. HCF acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we've recorded this podcast on, the Banarong Boon and Wurundjeri Woi Warang peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging.